Hello, and welcome to the Colts Cover 2 podcast. I am Joel A. Erickson. I'm joined, as always, by Nate Atkins. We are in a, a meeting room in our hotel in Frankfurt. Um, the Colts won 10-6 today. They beat the Patriots in a game that was, well, it's that quarterbacking back to the 70s. Maybe earlier than that. <laughs> it's that quarterbacking back a long ways. Uh, there was some very strange things that happened on the Patriots side of things. Uh, the the Colts stuff I don't think was necessarily strange. It was more of what we've seen from them in the past uh, in terms of Gardner Minshew's quarterbacking. Um, but but ultimately, I think well, I think this is the, where we'll start with the the short overview. Is like I know it doesn't feel like they're in the playoff race, but the reality is numerically five and five, they're in the playoff race. Yeah, I think that's it's really important, and we'll we'll get into. Plenty of nitpicking and downplaying and all of that, and I think a lot. I've, it seems like a lot of Colts fans are are there anyway. Uh, they're not haven't really bought in on this team yet, and I understand that trepidation for sure. And I'm going to agree with a lot of it. But if you take it from like the perspective of the players, certainly the coaches, like they want to be in the mix. They put a lot into this game, and they wanted they wanted to hit this bye week after ten weeks and feel like there's something tangibly out there. And it was, of course, there's just different dicey moments this season where. You know, they weren't able to get Jonathan Taylor on the field the first month. They didn't know if they would get him out there. They lose Anthony Richardson for the year. Like, there were moments, you know, they didn't address the cornerback position, and those guys started dropping. So there were moments where it felt like this could have just gone way off the edge and we would just be talking about the future at this point. But they're in it. it it's – you could say it's an ugly 5-5. Five and five. It's certainly a flawed 5-5 five and five team, but they're 5-5. Five and five. And they're, they're in the playoff hunt, the, the wild card hunt, and I think – while the games may not be the most thrilling uh, like today's or, or even last week's to watch, it's not what Colts fans were used to when they grew up with Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck at all. But you're still in the mix, and it's something that they weren't last year, and I think that's that's worth something. Yeah, I mean, the fact that they're winning these games, it's a bad schedule this year, but last year's team wasn't winning games. They were they were losing to bad teams left and right. Um, and – and Shane Steichen deserves credit for that. He deserves oh, yeah. credit for the fact that they're five and five, regardless of where this ends up. It's still it's still a pretty crowded AFC playoff field. Just for me looking at it, this is one thing that's weird about us doing the first impressions podcast is that it is for the, for this this overseas game is that um, it is currently ten fifty two at p.m. as we're recording this. And there's a good chance that some of you will be listening to it before 10:52 p.m. Uh, yeah. in in America uh, yeah. because the, the 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 games are still going on. The afternoon games there's are still going on. Two afternoon games that are in the first quarter. That's unbelievable because it's pitch dark out here and it's been that way. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a night game. Was, we covered a night game essentially. Um, we covered a lot late afternoon games. What we covered? We covered a game that started at 3:30 and ended. Uh, pretty quickly, I think it was done by six thirty. Because yeah, it, it, it was for a while there, the Patriots a just abandoned the pass, running and punting, and uh, it was smooth and good in, in that sense in terms of getting it getting, getting it through. And for our selfish desires as writers who want to, you know, get our stuff done, but yeah, it was <laughs> that part was. There's a lot of interesting parts that, uh, of covering this game of being in the outdoor press box and uh, open air press box and how much colder it got I felt like by the end of the game than at the start of it which is why it felt like an afternoon game out in the fall but 
But yeah, it's uh, it's it's that's what Germany is, I guess. That's what a, a an NFL game in Germany. Uh, it was pretty unique. We'll jump right into the categories here. Um, Colts win, so we start with hero of the game. Uh, I'll let you. I'll let you go with your hero of the game first. All right, I'm gonna go with. Uh, I think there's a couple ways you could go with this. There's a very obvious one, but um, yeah, I'll go with. I'll go with the obvious one. Dio Dangbo. Three sacks in the first half. That was, that's pretty ridiculous. Three sack, three sack games just don't happen very often in the NFL. It's usually guys like Miles Garrett and, and Aaron Donald that do it. And Dio Dangwa did it today. And the, the, the whole story with him has been sort of, you know, we're waiting to see it materialize more, to, to be more than just flashes. Well, today was a lot more than that. It was three sacks. And I noticed it was just interesting. They were – I'd have to go back and, you know, we'll see the snap counts, see exactly how it played out. But it felt like they, they may have just started him – basically giving him a starting role at at the edge spot. Um, he was playing over Samson Ebicom, which I hadn't seen yet this season. He would bump inside on the passing down, so they would have Samson out there and he would rush inside. But you saw him win both ways, inside and outside. Um, really some nice edge rushes, powerful and, and using that length and, and pretty pretty solid speed for a guy that, that size. And that's what they've needed off that edge. Uh, just really wrecked the the Patriots' offense, the inside-outside game. When when he would line up there, and we know what DeForest Buckner's doing in the middle, Mac Jones had had no chance against some of the rushes they had. And that's, the I think, the biggest reason why the Colts won this game. Uh, really, it's, it's the quarterback play on the Patriots. But you have to give the Colts credit for affecting that in the ways that they did, which was really destroying it up front. That's, we've talked about it time and again. The pass rush has to be – the group that lifts this team. And it's sometimes done that this year, sometimes not. When they get this version of Dio Dangbo, that is a pretty scary pass rush. And they got it on a day when Pay and Taekwon Lewis were kind of in and out with injuries. Like they, they needed somebody to come in and just sort of wreck it. Last week they got those performances from Kenny Moore and DeForest Buckner, who are obvious heroes. This one was a little bit more of like a breakout hero game from Dio, and it was fun to see. Yeah, the hero category. There's there's a lot of cat of applicants for this. A lot of them, I think, could fall in the unsung hero category mm-hmm. um, because they it was more of a a team defensive effort beyond Dio's three sacks. I'm gonna go DeForest Buckner, who didn't have a sack, but he did have two quarterback hits. I believe he had a pass defense. I think he had eight tackles, maybe nine. Wow. As a defensive tackle, I mean, they, they, they struggled against the run today, absolutely did. When they made stops in the run game, it was almost always DeForest Buckner, almost always. And some of them were very big. Like, the right before Dio's first sack, the Patriots were driving down the field uh, pretty easily on their first on their first series. Buckner makes a, a tackle for a one-yard loss. It sets up Dio's sack on third down to get them off the field with, with a field goal, which really ended up becoming the game. Like, the game was just getting forcing the Patriots into field goal attempts and not letting them have touchdowns. So I'm, I'm going to go with Buckner. Buckner has been – Buckner is always good. I wrote this last week that I think that he probably deserves more credit than, he's got, than he gets across the NFL. These last couple games, he's been um, very, 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 very good. And he didn't have the sacks this week, but everything else was, was right there. Yeah, I mean, you, you could give this award to him almost any time they win because he plays a monster role in it. And last week it was maybe more – you know, statistically flashing off the page in the pass rush uh, against the Panthers, but he affects so many, so many things, and it's it's part of why 
some of these guys on the edge can have breakout performances is because they're sort of like, you know, ancillary to what DeForest does and commands in the middle. And it gave him a lot of credit because he's playing without Grover Stewart next to him. So, I mean, he got double teamed before that, but obviously he's getting double teamed all the time. And then what's been happening is, and I think that's why the run defense numbers weren't, as, weren't, weren't that good is that teams are finding ways to run between the tackles, but not right at him. And they're going at the deficiency next to him and, you know, stressing a, a Colts linebacker core that's that's got a, a few things going on too that are not great. Uh, but DeForest has just consistently overcome, and it's like we were wondering what was going to get this defense back on track after a couple of weeks against the Browns and Saints, especially the Saints, I should say, where really looked leaky and, and a lot of things not not feeling good about that group. Well, they've played easier teams the past two weeks, but. DeForest is this against good teams, bad teams. It doesn't really matter. He's he's one of the best players in the NFL, and it's uh, it's it's fun to watch him uh, for a guy that came back believing in this team uh, when it was maybe harder for us to see this. Like it, he's the guy I really think about with like when we talk about that they're in it, they're five and five. However they got here, they're here. DeForest Buckner deserves to have a team that's in the mix, given all that he's doing out there on the field and all that he came back for. Villain of the day. I get to go first on this one. It's very easy. Gardner Minshew, which this is, I mean, this is a recurring theme, but I think Colts fans have pretty much the entire Colts fan base has come, has come around of what, well, this podcast and me have seen for a while. Um, it's just, he's, he's limited. He's just limited. And in a way that the, the problem is that for them to stay in this playoff race, his limit, they, his limitations are really going to show up against teams that can score. Like they've won two games in a row where they've only scored one offensive touchdown. Now Kenny Moore got, deserves credit for one. Uh, the Patriots quarterbacks and the Colts pass rush deserve the credit for the other. Um, and I do want to emphasize the Colts pass rush was good. It wasn't just Iowa Dangbo. They had five sacks today and I think ten right. quarterback hits. They were all over. Um, but the the I'm gonna I'm gonna do my number of the day here too just right in the middle of this because it's it's to me it's it's so glaring the number of the day for me is one that's the number of times that Gardner Minshew was officially hit today one quarterback hit no sacks one quarterback hit now I want you to go back if you watch this game and I'm if you're listening to this podcast I'm sure I assume you did and think about the way Gardner Minshew played in the pocket the way he bailed on the pocket he looked uncomfortable all day he was trying to move around he wasn't getting hit no. He didn't get hit at all, basically. And and I thought the Colts pass blocking was exquisite. A couple of times when he did get in jeopardy, like there was I know there's one play, I can't remember exactly when this was off the top of my head. There was one play that Ryman had his guy blocked, and the only reason that Gardner that Minshew felt pin, pressure was that he decided kind of inexplicably to roll out the left side of the pocket to where the defender that Ryman was blocking was. Well, like he can't hold him. So then there was a guy to run after him. It was like he didn't he didn't win his rush. You ran you ran yourself into pressure. Um, and I think the other thing that was glaring today was just the missed open receivers just from the start. Oh, yeah. Alec missed Alec, wide open Alec Pierce early. Um, and when I say missed, I mean didn't see. Let's go with didn't see because he also missed open receivers in the case of Kylan Granson on the sideline on a play that should have been huge near the end of the first half. He didn't see – there was one play, maybe the most egregious of these plays, that the pocket was clean. He decided to move around a lot. 
initially watching it in the stadium, I had my eyes downfield. And so I said, okay, Downs is clearing somebody, uh, throw it there. And then I realized that Alec Pierce was standing by himself and had been for a while. Now there's a safety behind him, but like 15 yards. Um, and I started going, Alec, 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 throw it to Alec, throw it to Alec Pierce. He never, like, I don't even know if he saw him. He was by himself. And then you guys uh, on, on X Twitter pointed out to me that Kylan Granson and Jonathan Taylor were also open <laughs> at different times on that play. Now, it ended up being a completion of Michael Pittman Jr., but it was a, a very difficult completion, and it didn't have to be. There was there, He had Alec Pierce sitting at 17 yards for an, what felt like an eternity in the stadium. It they only had 194 yards today. I'm pretty sure I'm not misremembering this, but I think they gave up 200. The Patriots gave up 285 passing yards per game over the last four. They only got 194 today on a day when they their quarterback wasn't getting hit. That's a pass rush that didn't have Matthew Judon. They didn't have anything. And they didn't have J.C. Jackson out there. And either. the way Minshew played was like Minshew. The way Minshew was acting in the pocket was like he was facing last year's Patriots defense against the Colts when they had nine sacks. He wasn't. He was facing a, a Matt Judon-less Patriots attack that didn't – they hit him one time. Yeah, I have to share the villain. There's just no other way to go with it. Um, and and I'll just kind of start there where I think he kind of played like Sam Ellinger played last year against the Patriots where he was kind of running into pressure. He was almost like sort of lost the uh, – kind of the mental battle against Bill Belichick and started seeing ghosts. And it's understandable for Sam Ellinger. He was in his second start. I mean, that's what Belichick does to young quarterbacks all the time. It was totally understandable how that happened last year. For Gardner to be in this spot, you know, in his 30th start in the league, it's a little concerning. And, I mean, Gardner, we've talked a lot about, you know, the physical limitations and how it was just sort of difficult to – um, to try and devise the offense compared to what they could have done with Anthony Richardson. But right now I think we're I think it's gone beyond that with Gardner. I think he's he, we're getting the worst version of what he is too, where he's just sort of I think the turnovers and the and the negative plays have gotten gotten in his head a little bit. He seems to be feeling pressure that's not there. And I don't know like we've talked about how when he gets hit from behind, the ball security is just a major issue. I I'm sure that's been a teaching point for them, but it feels like it's gotten into his play where he's just running from clean pockets into pressure and he doesn't have you know, occasionally a Lamar Jackson can do that and get away with it. Gardner Minshew it's like he's not having an understanding of who he is and how he's supposed to win, which is early in the down and from the pocket feet set and like every time he moves like the second he starts taking like there's other quarterbacks that the second they take off you're worried about what they'll do to you the second that he's taking off like I'm worried for what's going to happen to them because it just doesn't usually end well that's where you lose what what had been the value from Gardner the good version of Gardner is sort of you know when he, he has a feet set and he's delivering the ball the ball placement the accuracy when he's on the move right now I mean I saw him miss Overthrows, underthrows, too far left, too far right, too late, too early. Uh, like it's just kind of all over the place. And so I'll throw my number of the day in, in this too to just to kind of get this through. And my number is also one, which is the number of targets Alec Pierce had today. And I don't know how that's possible after that incredible catch and with him being open on several incredible plays. Incredible catch. And like I watched, I was we you know the view we had is is. is pretty high up there and I was I, I like to watch a lot of the receiver versus you know 
secondary matchups when you get that full view. And Alec was playing tonight. I really like how these receivers played today, and we'll get into some of them, the other ones in the categories. But, like, I really thought they brought it for this offense and where they're at. And so, you know, if this was a situation where, like, we're not even asking Gardner Minshew to overcome. Like, we know that that's – it's asking too much to, to ask a backup to overcome a bad offense. It's sort of like where – some of the quarterbacks on last year's Colts teams were, but he had guys delivering for him today. And the only thing that you could say wasn't there for him was I, like the run game numbers weren't good, but that's because the Patriots were doing what the Jaguars and the, um, and the Panthers were doing, which is put the game on the quarterback. And so you're getting advantageous looks. These receivers are open. I like, I love how they're playing. I love how their skill sets are mixing together and they just don't have the quarterback to take advantage of it right now. So the the silver lining is they somehow found a way to win in spite of that the last two weeks where they're two and oh and now they're you know, and they get the team to five and five. But this is why it's sort of hard to buy into this, is that in a quarterback league, it feels like the weakest part of this team right now is is that position. And uh going forward that's uh that's gonna be hard to overcome each week like they've done this week and last week. Unsung hero of the game. Um, I'm going to go with Rodney Thomas. So I wrote on Rodney Thomas after the game, so he's sort of front of mind. But um, he's been – I don't think he's had the best season so far. The Colts coaches have said that pretty much. They want it. They've been urging to get a little bit more out of him. You think about, like, where he's come. Um, well, last year just shot on the scene, four picks. Seventh-round rookie really hit the, scene, hit the ground running. This year a lot more is on his plate with – not Stephon Gilmore with such youth on the outsides. And um, and it's he hasn't always been at his best. But I thought he was at his best today. Granted, an easier matchup against Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi. But he played downhill. And he, he was a nice last line of defense on some of these run plays where they were they were getting to the second level. And then obviously the, the, the what brings it home is the pick at the end. And it was cool because it was – the Patriots are trying to do the fake spike, which Colts didn't seem to buy. But what they're trying to do there is – they're trying to get Zaire Franklin in a bind so they, they could just fire the ball to the slot receiver going vertical. And Rodney Thomas saw that all the way through. He saw he saw that they were going to go after Zaire, and he just jumped it and, and picked it off. And it's just a cool moment. To, it's sort of a full circle moment, which is what I wrote about, is that Rodney had that moment to seal a game against the Texans in Week 18 last year and jumped too early and – you know, they get the Hail Mary, and he was so crushed. And Zaire Franklin's the guy who built him up in that moment. So for them to share this moment where Rodney played it perfectly and picked it off and ended the game, like so much win on this Colts defense in this game where I thought they 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 should have already ended it with Julian Blackman's pick. The offense couldn't salt the game away. So Rodney Thomas had the one that actually sealed it and put it away. And uh, it was just cool to see for a, for a player who's – he's had an interesting start to his career so far as a seventh round pick that they're putting a lot on and he's had highs and lows and today was another high for him unsung hero of the day for me probably he's probably sung a little bit josh downs uh huge catch huge catch and and on a play another one of these plays where Minshew, it felt like from the from where we were sitting it felt like there were open receivers earlier in the progression he's dancing around he's moving he's trying to scramble again not the dirtiest of pockets and Josh Downs kind of does what Josh Downs does, which is finds open space and gets gets free for it and makes a diving catch that the Colts had to have because what it did was it took the Patriots' chances of 
running a somewhat normal offensive series away from them and force them well and backed up against their own end zone and force them to uh to play a, a full drive uh with Bailey Zappi <laughs> um, I, we're gonna have to like add a new category to the podcast for today because there's so many weird decisions from the other team but uh we'll, we'll get to that in a second but but just josh downs and i think michael pittman jr can probably get a little bit of a, a shout out here just some tough catches um he well really i think most of it almost every catch he had to make was pretty tough um mm-hmm. and and so I, I thought the receivers the, it's a weird thing to say that the passing game was really bad and the receivers didn't have a bad day but that's really how i feel about how this game oh, yeah. went Oh, yeah. That's what, that's what I was saying. I loved how the receivers played. I gave Alex some shine. You're right about Pittman, sort of eight catches for 84 yards uh, and, and kind of pulled it through there. And Josh Downs, I mean, it's another story I'll be writing in the next couple of days. But, like, he's he's worked through a lot this season so far with this knee. I think it's more than, than maybe we realized up until it's obviously become a storyline these past two weeks. So he didn't know he was even going to play. That's why he wasn't in the game script. He wasn't starting, wasn't early in the game. But – Man, he, he pulled it together, and that, that catch was the, the best play they had on offense. So I think that's definitely a, uh, definitely a good, good selection there, and it's just a guy that can, continues to find a way. And what's amazing to me about Josh is just the way they use him and the things he does are not like a rookie. I've really never seen that out of a rookie receiver. We're talking the, the scramble drill and awareness to find open grass on some of those plays and then hauling – catches full extension where he always seems to get his hands under the ball before it hits the ground, which is, you know, one of the hardest things to learn, and he's already got it. And then the fact that, like, it says a lot that they trust this guy to be their third-down weapon when he didn't practice all week. And they've got a road game, and they have the jet lag, and all this stuff's going on. And uh, it's just not many rookies, I think, will have would have earned that trust in half a season. But Josh Downs is just – since he arrived here, just been uh, cut from a different cloth. And so, um, he, you know, he finished with two catches for 40 yards, but the 28-yarder was the best play of the day. We have already done – we have not – have we gotten – we have not gotten to Unsung Villain yet. I almost nope. skipped it. Unsung Villain of the game. Again, I want to remind everyone, it is 11 o'clock p.m. here, and we are not quite adjusted at the time. So, any – slap happiness you hear is because we are taping this at a time that is late for us but not for you um and, un- and give us a break after the game we just watched i mean you'd be slap happy too if you were <laughs> unsung unsung villain of the game um i will it's it's i have one yeah go for it Shaq leonard mm. so shaquille leonard uh yeah, i know we've We've written a lot about him. I feel like we haven't talked a lot about him on this podcast because this is more about you know the guys do you know guys in the big roles, and his has diminished and he's you know had some issues with that in recent weeks. And I think he's had valid some valid re- points um, up until this week about how he's not in position, he's not in on the money downs to make the splash plays that are supposedly keeping him off the field. And um, and he wants to be out there badly. Like that's I, I think that's one thing that. Um, has gotten lost. He almost wants to be out there too badly sometimes in the past couple of years, and that's. Uh, but, but but he's an ultimate competitor. But the thing is, today he had chances to make splash plays. I thought I saw a play where 
there's a screen pass to Ezekiel Elliott in the Patriots' first drive, and Shaq was right there for a potential tackle for loss. And against this Patriots offense, if they get backed up like that, they're going to punt. So it was right there for him, and I uh, just missed the tackle and it ended up being a 19-yard gain for Ezekiel Elliott. He also had – it looked like a chance to land on that fumble by Hunter Henry on the next drive. And, you know, that's one where – that used to be his game, was punching the ball out and getting to it. He was just sort of a missile to that. And – you know, wasn't quite able to do it. It's just something is off. Something's off beyond the play time with him. I don't know. I don't know if it's confidence or understanding of quite how fast he is, how fast he's, he can play at this whatever state he's at right now. Something in the body, in the control of that body is not. I mean, he used to be just the most athletic player that I'd seen, one of the most athletic players I've ever seen on defense, ever covered and like had a full awareness of how to use that at all times. And I think just two years ago is he just toyed with Mac Jones and it was a huge reason they pulled out a win against the Patriots team uh, when they had completed five passes. And I think today just showed a little bit of something is missing there. Uh, And, you know, it's, it's, it's beyond just the, it's beyond just not being out there on the, on the big downs. It's that, there are occasionally plays here and there that that I think he could make, and, and today was noticeable. And I think, you know, and some of that also plays into to some of the run defense. Um, he's mostly out there on rundowns right now. Uh, you know, he's not out there on third down. And uh, you know, Zaire Franklin's dealing with a knee injury. He's battling through it. They don't have Grover Stewart. Like this is another area where it's maybe it's not splash plays, but it's a area where someone needs to step up and make an impact and that run defense has really fallen off without Grover Stewart that's another area I thought he could have done something to earn a little bit more of the trust of the coaches so he's going through it right now I'm not writing him off by any means but uh but as for today like I, I thought there were some opportunities for him that that uh didn't come to fruition Un, unsung um unsung villain of the day for me is the Colts rushing offense and I think this is maybe the most unsung because I I want to say I think Jonathan Taylor is playing well. I feel like the eye test tells me that he's playing well. Um, and the offensive line had a good day in pass blocking. I I just can't get it out of my head that two years ago the Colts were able to get some big yardage games against fronts that looked a lot like the ones teams are using against them now. And I don't know if it's over the bye week. I don't know when. Like, I know Gardner Minshew is very limited. Um, but we've seen previous Colts teams run into um, the teeth of very heavy fronts with, with some success before. We've seen it. And not just in 2021. I thought they also, we also saw it several times in 2019 when Jacoby Brissett was the quarterback. So. I'm just giving it to the rush offense. I'm not going to put it on any one player or any one position group or any coach. I just, I just can't help thinking that as, as much as the, the – so the easy answer to the office, offense right now is Gardner Minshew has to make the throws that teams are giving him because they're giving him big throws that he's not hitting. But it's pretty far into this now to start think that Gardner Minshew is going to start hitting those throws based on the way he's played. And that means this team needs to find answers. And whatever that is, whether it's coaching staff scheme, uh, whether it's the offensive line, whether it's Taylor, they've, they might need to do that. They might need to spend their, off, their, their bye week figuring out how to do that. Because I, I really don't – I'm not sure that the passing game has a clear fix because of who's playing quarterback. Yeah, it's 
interesting to compare this team to 2021 where in the second half of that year they were scheming around their quarterback and there were teams putting it on that quarterback and the Colts still ran almost every game they ran well until late in the season they didn't run as well against the Raiders and Jaguars but it still was better than what we saw today and so I do think I, I think it's fair to put it on that group because I don't I don't think it comes down to any you know single single thing there's a lot of different pieces to it there's the fact that you know they they are back to playing you know Jonathan Taylor's the lead back he had 23 of the 24 handoffs today and and Zach Moss is over his heel injury and all that but so they've clearly they've done the thing that we've been asking them to do which is lean on Jonathan Taylor it just isn't they're not getting to the level that he used to get to and I, I I don't know I'm sure there's some things some place he's left out there a little bit just getting back into sort of the the feel and the flow for it um, Ryan Kelly going out in the second half. I think that's that's played a role. I think you know a, a big key that we've talked about at times with this run game is not having Jack Doyle and everything he did for that run game. And today, not having Drew Ogletree, they didn't have a tight end who could block on the move, which is how you uh, you know and Belichick can just move his his some of his guys away from Moali Cox if he's sort of an extra lineman. So it's a lot of different things that are happening there, but it's. It is concerning because that's like you said. Gardner is going to have to. I mean, they're, they have to play around Gardner, and one of the ways is they're going to have to run really well, even when it's tough. Um, so, so yeah. We've already done our number of the day. That pushes us to game day observation. We're going to have to do these fast because there's going to be a lot. Uh, number one game day observation for me. I'm just going to start the front. Everybody was getting there at. 11.30 Germany time. That's four hours before kickoff. It was earlier than you or I would get there if we didn't have to take an NFL bus. It was earlier than almost anybody would go if they didn't have to take an NFL bus. Uh, when I walked in, I put my stuff down and walked out to the field. There were two men already sitting in their seats holding beers. <laughs> four hours before the game. I was out there for a significant portion of those four hours. Like I would say 65% of it. I... I, 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 I shudder to think at what, what you did other than like, I, it's just too much time to sit in the stadium, but like the, the excitement level was crazy. Yeah. And I, I think there's, it's, it's hard to pin it down to one observation within any of that, except that like, just for, yeah, so I many, think we should ping pong them. Just keep yeah. giving stuff. Um, I, I'll just compare it a little bit to when I went to the Indy 500. I, it was like the happiest sporting event I've ever seen because there were so many people who were, I mean, it's not really, there aren't really teams there. There's not the animosity. And so even though this was, had a lot of Patriots fans at it, it had a lot of people that just seemed to be happy to be there and to see so many different jerseys. I mean, you saw, I think their jerseys are just about every single team I saw out there. It's just sort of like this is a gathering of anybody in the in the in Europe who roots for NFL teams was fine. Like felt like, felt like those people were finding a way to get here. They were making a whole day of it, uh, and that was awesome to see. I saw a couple of people who had like these hoodies that I guess this will be mine. Hoodies that had every single team on it. I think, <laughs> and so some of us were joking that like they always win. Like. They're going to win today. They're going to win in any game they watch. And that, I just it's an interesting contrast to what we see in America, which is people so dug in on their team to the point where, you know, fan bias is, is so – and fandom is so strong and entrenched. Here it's almost like an, a, a curiosity and appreciation just for the sport itself in a way that transcends those lines and kind of brought everyone together in moments. 
And so it was just a totally different environment than what I've ever seen. It was loud in that stadium. Really loud. Like almost can't hear people talking in a normal, like you couldn't hear people talking in a normal voice to you loud. And it was only, I think they only announced 50,000, right? 50, a shade over 50,000. Yeah. And it was, the- it was spectacularly loud. And that wasn't just because we were sitting in an open air press box. For, like we don't usually do that. That's not the way the NFL usually does them. Um, Brett Bensley, who is a photographer for CBS for Fox 59, was was the only cameraman from Indy here. Um, I work with him when I do First and Joel on TV. And he said for him, like he had to take his earplugs out or even with his earplugs in, like stuff was like really, really loud, really loud. Yeah. And to piggyback off that, it was just interesting how like this was it was like this was Built, it's a neutral site game, but it was built like a Patriots home game in a lot of ways. It sounded a lot like a Patriots home it game. It sounded like it, certainly with the boos and the cheers and the way that all went. But, like, I even noticed, like, they would put up signs on, like, on the sort of like the rolling scoreboard thing that says, please be quiet, the Patriots are on offense. Like, like they're just con- – and, I mean, technically they're the home team, but it was like the whole crowd, like, fit that. Not not the whole crowd, but the the – People who are loudest and most vocal fit that. And so uh, it's interesting because they were like, there's sort of this <laughs> this angry feel of Patriots fans right now. Like they've, they're not used to being having two wins. And I'm sure some Colts fans love the fact that, that they're in that spot and they handed them another loss today. It was like uh, the, the confidence they have. Like I didn't – I talked to several different people who are Patriots fans. None of them thought they were going to win today. So even though they were loud and proud, it was more like – Almost like, come on, get it together, guys. Like, and I can only imagine what it was like for those people to then see that in, in this sort of, I guess, a second. I don't even know where this fits, but you kind of referenced it earlier. But them bringing in a different quarterback for a game-winning drive, I don't know if I've ever seen that. Yeah, we're we're gonna I'm gonna create a new category for this that won't be in every podcast. Um, but I wanted to do one more thing with the game day observation. Uh, so I don't know if this is the soccer background. I don't know if it's just a Germany thing. I've never been around a crowd who sang songs so in unison and Mm. twice, twice kept singing the song after it went off on the loudspeakers because the play was going on. Like Gardner Minshew did an entire play with Sweet Caroline being sung in perfect unison (laughs) across the stadium. And then this is the piggyback on this. For some reason... Country Roads by John Denver is very popular in Germany. And I tried to look it up on Google. I could not find an answer. If somebody knows why Country Roads is so popular, please tell me. We are not in West Virginia. We're not in the western part of Virginia. I I don't know. I'm very confused. But they love that song. And the reason I know that is because they sang it in unison for like two plays after they'd already cut it off at the start of the fourth quarter. It was awesome. Like, it was really cool. I, I don't mean to, like, make fun of it. I just don't really know where some of it came from. And it was super in unison. Yeah, the interesting thing is, like, they really try to set up this event to be, like, we're bringing the American version of this sport to you. They didn't sort of, like, you know, Europeanize it. So they, like, all the music was, like, these classic songs you hear in America. But, like, all the people knew them and were into them. So I was curious about that, too. I don't know if they, like, if this was part of the prep. Like, they got there four hours early. Maybe they were, like, 
diving into American culture a little bit more because everyone seemed ready for these songs, even though Germany hasn't had many games at all. They had one last week with Dolphins and Chiefs. So uh, they is interesting. And it's just like one of my takeaways just from being here in Germany was just like how much people embrace like this stuff, this Amer- like American culture and like that. The people here have been so friendly and so like, they think it's so cool that we came this far and that we like that we live there. It's not like like there's some places you go where like people are like, oh, the tourists are here. This was like the opposite of that. And it was almost like they welcomed it and they wanted to embrace that culture. Where it's like you think about people going overseas, traveling somewhere. Usually it's like you're supposed to go there and fall into their culture. Well, they kind of wanted to share our culture with us, which is kind of cool. Yeah, there was even a kutch cam, which is a kiss cam. And it, it, I'll use this as the segue because we could keep going on game day observations, but we, we need to keep the podcast from running for six hours. Uh, but uh, they, it, the Kutch cam included somebody denying a kiss, which is my favorite thing. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. Uh, three football things that gave me joy. I will We're, say quickly on the Kutch cam, I was like busy writing during that, so I just looked up and it said that. I didn't know what that meant. In the first couple they showed, people did not take part. <laughs> So it just said Kutch Cam and people like looking awkwardly around. It's I'm like, very confused. I'm very like, I'm waiting to figure out what this is supposed to be. Yeah. And then you see like three street people kiss and then you have that kiss rejection. So yeah. it was it was a roller coaster. Uh three football things that gave me joy will be postponed for a second because we're gonna do three football things Bill Belichick did that really confused me. <laughs> <laughs> You've already referenced one. We we won't get too into this. I'll just I'll just back up what you said by Inserting your backup quarterback for literally the possible game-winning drive and only that is wild. Well, the amazing thing to me is how confused the Colts players were. <laughs> and openly, like Zaire was asked straight up, like, were you surprised he did? And he said, uh, yeah. Yeah, everybody in the everybody in the post-game press conference, they said they kind of knew it was happening because Colts, Colts yeah. coaches were telling him that Zappi was lining and was an un- unnamed up. Colts player asked me straight up, like, oh, Matt got hurt? I missed that. And I was like, no. They, they so, Like, some of the other guys said it in Dio, – Dio said it in the press conference. Like, he said, I thought we thought – I don't know if he's hurt or not. Zaire said the same thing. I don't know if he's hurt or not. It was like it's just very confusing. Uh, number two, football things that Bill Belichick did that terribly vexed me. He did not put a punt returner back at one point. The I, the more I think about this, the more it makes the it more the more, the less it makes sense. They were backed up against their own end zone. Uh, they needed field. They desperately needed field position. Of course, they needed field position. The game ended ten to six. <laughs> They desperately needed field position. He was going for a punt block, but you can go for a punt block without taking your return man away. And when he did that, it allowed Rigoberto Sanchez to just blast a 69-yard kick that there was no – like he had, there was zero consequences for a low – like he was kicking low, I think, today because of um, the scoreboard, which is going to be one of my football things that gave me joy, so I'm doubling up here. But – um, he, he kicked low on a lot of his longer ones because if you hit that punt, if you hit the giant scoreboard in the middle that the roof comes out of, uh, they do the play over again. Well, sometimes that could be an issue because the coverage can't get down there. Didn't matter on that one. No return, man. So confusing. You know, the only – Belichick is one of the all-time greats at – a lot of things, including usually special teams. That's how he came up. Usually he's the one finding out something crazy smart. My only justification for why he would maybe have done that 
is that in his calculation, field position didn't matter because unless the defense or the special team scored, they weren't finding the end zone. So that'd be a crazy way to actually coach. <laughs> That's an I, insane. I'm not being very serious yeah. when I say this, but it's the <laughs> only way insane. I can explain it is if he thought we have to block the punt. Because even if we get the ball at midfield, it doesn't matter. We're not going to score. And we know that because one time they did get the ball at midfield and they didn't score. Yeah. Uh, and then the, 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 well, since we do three with these things, the third thing that Bill Belichick to- terribly, that did that, that terribly vexed me, I don't get the fake spike. Oh. I don't get it. Nobody in the Colts secondary fell for it at all. In fact, as you found out, Rodney Thomas didn't even know there was a fake spike. The guy who it. picked it off. Uh Z- Zaire Franklin said that because it looked like the, the Z- Bailey Zappi said they did it to keep the pass rush from going. You know what actually kept the pass rush from happening? Uh, the Colts believe the Patriots false started. That's why they were pointing. <laughs> and then, and then I just I don't know. Like I can't remember exactly what Buckner said, but Buckner said you're you're trying to make something happen there. And it like he didn't say this, and this is not what he meant. But what I heard was him saying. They're a little bit desperate. Yeah, again, <laughs> when I'm trying to explain something that's inexplicable, I go back to the fact that he goes, we're not going to score on a football play. <laughs> There's no freaking way. So what can we do that's just so bizarre and wacky and desperate? And that's – the whole game felt desperate from them. It really did. And it just shows you kind of how rock bottom the Patriots have gotten, which is kind of crazy to think about, including, I don't know, like it really does feel like this could be the last year for Bo Belichick there. Three football things that gave me joy. We already have one Rigoberto Sanchez. Do you want to come back at me before I get my second Rigoberto Sanchez? Uh, no, you can go ahead. One punter was blasting away today. The Patriots punter, who I actually don't even know his name, uh, was blasting away today. And he had one that it looked like Isaiah McKenzie had misplayed terribly. And he did, except that the ball bounced all the way into the end zone. And then he had another punt later in the game where he needed to pin the Colts deep, and he punted it all the way to the end zone. And Rigoberto Sanchez, uh, well, he did not – not all of his punts were of the – like he had a chance to really cough and corner him once and it ended up like the 13. He had like three punts that like landed on the sideline. And uh, I, I love directional punting. I love it very much. And so one punter doing it and one punter just blasting things through the back of the end zone uh, was something that I enjoyed because it, it in a game where, where field position mattered – uh, you would rather have the punter who is not giving the other team touchbacks. Uh, fun fact, I covered that Patriots punter at Michigan State. His name is? His name is Bryce Beringer. <laughs> he's, I believe he's a rookie or he's rookie right now. So I'm talking up to youth because I like Bryce very much. He was a wonderful interview and also a great punter in college. <laughs> it really did look like a guy who just wasn't quite trained for that situation because he has a great leg, but went a little too far with it. Um, so, yeah. I'm struggling with some of the football things that gave me joy because a lot of things today gave me pain. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm being it, honest. It was not a game for people who like offensive football. Just It just was not. Um, I guess I'll go with this. It, it kind of had a spin off that, like, so bad it's good moment. Um Mac Jones's pick <laughs> is legitimately one of the most baffling plays I have ever seen <laughs> in the NFL where there is a high leverage moment. They're going into the end zone trying to win the game, and 
he is under a little bit of pressure, but there's a guy open on like like a tight end on like a post and black Julian Blackman is like turning around trying to see how he can drift back there. And it looked like he thought Julian Blackman was the receiver, which is also how it looked the previous possession when Julian like <laughs> dropped one. Like, I don't know if he was thinking that 32 and white was a Patriot for some reason, but it was so bad that, well, number one, it was so bad that, Bill Belichick put in a different quarterback to try a game-winning drive, so I know he agrees with me on this. But it was so bad that when it happened, uh, a reporter who will not be named who's in the press box went, oh, well, it was tipped. Like, it, like almost said, like, it had to have been tipped. We watched replay. It was not tipped. It uh, was just thrown right at Julian I, I'm very tickled by this because after a season spent of Nate doggedly uh, making sure the opponent gets credit for things. <laughs> it took it took a ten to six game in Germany, and the Patriots quarterback chain the yeah. Patriots quarterbacking for for Nate to be like, I'm 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 just gonna say what I'm gonna say about these Patriots. We're done with that. They they've killed that. <laughs> um, uh, number third, number three football thing that gave me joy. Uh, this it's just been a theme of the week. Uh, guys playing in front of family, um, and that's like a really hokey thing to do. But like that's how you start. You start playing in front of your family. You start playing in front of your your parents and your your cousins and people who your grandparents who come to see you. And that's how you play. Um, you know when you're playing in pop Warner and you're playing flag, and then you play in front of a few more people when you're in high school. Um, but they're the ones who are actually have been there for you the entire time. And so like Bernard Ryman got to do it. Dio Dengo got to do it. Um, a handful of Colts who have ties to family with international uh, things got to play in front of family. Dio Degbo had three sacks today. Ryman looked really good. Um, just really fun for those guys to get to see people uh, that they don't they don't see very often. I mean, Ryman, 17 of the 18 people there for Ryman had never seen him play an NFL game. Uh, Dio had 13 people there. His two uncles there, this was the second time he's ever seen them in person. Just like really, really like it. That's the kind of stuff that gets lost in all the criticism and like the the talking about the which is I get it. It's important. The NFL is important, but there's these really cool moments and the family stuff, family and football together was really fun for me. Yeah, and I got to catch up with Marcel Dabo on the field right before the game, and of course he's on crutches, and it's like on one hand this went terribly wrong for him where. You know, they get an international game. It's in Germany, and three weeks before it, he, on a non-contact play in practice, tears his knee and has no chance to be elevated for the one game when he's back here. But yet, the joy that was in him this week, just in spite of that, was was pretty incredible to see where he was kind of hobbling out there with the, the youth kids at the practice we were at. Um, he was thanking us for coming out here and doing this to help put a spotlight on the kids of Germany. And seeing him down there in his element in pregame where he can't play in this game, but to even be back here and to see this sport here, the sport he fell in love with when he was, uh, when he went to see the jump run at Wisconsin once in a, as a student exchange, uh, as part of a student exchange program, we just like switched immediately from soccer to football to see that whole thing come full circle and see his country uh, celebrate uh, this thing here was, it was pretty incredible to see <laughs> Too much credit, too little credit. The Colts won, so it's too much credit, too little credit. Too much credit for me is going to go to the Colts' defense because they gave up a lot of yards on the ground, and 
Patriots quarterback. Like, there's a weird part of Mac Jones's game where he actually completed a lot of passes, um, like a lot of the attempts he had. But like when they needed him to make throws, he made terrible throws, as you just uh, put up. Because there was another one that that should have been picked on the previous series by Julian Blackman, and that also should have been a touchdown. Hunter Henry was open. Um, mm-hmm. So, so the Colts defense is going to get a little bit too much credit for how terrible the Patriots quarterbacking situation is. Yeah. I'll piggyback off that and just narrow it down to Colts secondary. Like I did like, I did really like how Rodney Thomas more aggressively played today. It was an easier matchup because the Patriots don't do anything explosive, but I think what really helped was for as bad of an offense as the Patriots have, they were pretty banged up at receiver too. They were playing a guy today, uh, Kayshawn boot, who I was on some Patriots writers before the game. Like, they never thought they'd even see him when he was playing. Um, so, you know, they nothing's worked for them. They've they've got Kendrick Bourne hurt. Um, you know, a lot of lot of injuries going on there. Juju Smith Schuster hasn't come together. So it's like this was again like kind of like last week, especially at the outside receiver spots, where if you felt like so for too much credit, if it feels like the Colts have fixed their outside cornerback issues. I wouldn't say that based on the past two games because I think this is literally the two worst opponents they could face. Receiving cores. For outside receiving cores with the quarterback's ability to take advantage of that. So I'm not going to say that they haven't improved. We got to see something else other than this because I, I I don't think they should get credit for that. Too little credit. I'm going to go with Shane Steichen. Um, you know, you think in a – this is his first game where he, his team didn't score 20. They won 10-6, so it feels like, you know, it's easy to just nuke the offense and feel like it was all bad Patriots, and certainly was plenty of that. But, like, I liked a lot of what he drew up. I mean, I liked I, – like, we've been asking for him to lean into Jonathan Taylor. They did that. What it did is it forced, you know, the defense to just gear all for that. And I thought they drew up a lot of pass plays that were open with quality protection. He's doing this without – Drew Elgotree wasn't available. You know, they still don't have Delaney Woods. You've got Josh Downs, who was only available on third downs. They're pretty compromised as far as some of, you know, and of course Gardner Minshew. They're compromised as far as some of the pieces. And yet, like you, you we've pointed out, um, and you've ma- mostly hammered this, is like there were tons of guys open today. They, they did not have an issue designing plays to get players open. And they it should have been a day they threw for a ton. And I think even though – but even within that, it was like – he again found a way for a second straight week to let the other team's offense implode and coach that way. And maybe that's coaching scared, but it's also coaching to win. And they found a way two straight weeks. It felt like based on what they, that the production and the, the talent that they showed on offense and especially in the passing game, they shouldn't have won, but they did. And you have to give credit to Shane for today and for the fact that they're five and five, despite all the things that we bring up that are concerning and problematic, despite how young they are, how, Little they have that the front office invested in certain premium positions. I think he's been pretty hamstrung this year, and he's overcome a lot, and today was another example of that. Too little credit for me, Jonathan Taylor. Uh, he had 69 yards on 23 carries. It, it feels like a really bad game. It's not a great game for yards per attempt. When they needed someone to get in the end zone, he got in the end zone and had some big runs on that drive, and he's been generally moving the pile. Like, it's – his numbers don't look like Jonathan Taylor numbers. If you're looking at him from a fantasy perspective or you're not watching the games, it doesn't the numbers don't look good. 
but the play of him and what he's meant to this team in these games, I think has, has mattered. Uh, that leaves us with the last two categories, uh, one to throw away and one to go on. What's one to throw away from this game? Um, I'm going to go ahead and say that if they're still complaining about or, or too much harsh criticism for Alec Pierce, you can throw that away. Um, he's, we don't fully know what he could be because they don't have. They just flat out don't have the offense to know that. They have a quarterback who's not seeing guys open. They have an. He's in a role that's low percentage or low volume as it is. And I just I think we're over the idea that like they're going to take advantage of deep opportunities. He he is a guy that is out there because he's the speedy Z player and he's he's going to open up some things. And consistently, Michael Pittman Jr. and Josh Downs are open, so he's doing some of that but we'll never really know this year we're not going to know how explosive he is how you know how much if his hands are good or if they're still kind of you know a concern or you know or even fully how versatile he is and I actually give him credit for some of the ways he's getting open and making some catches the last couple weeks have been routes that we didn't see a few weeks ago so like everyone in the building I don't think it's just lip service when they talk up that he's he's playing fairly well because what they're asking for him to do, he's doing. It's just the ball's not – the ball has no chance to come his way in a lot of those plays. And even even sometimes I've noticed this didn't happen today because he only got one target. But last week he was – he toasted a guy, a one-on-one matchup down the field, and Gardner sealed it out of bounds. So that's what's going on with him right now. And I just – I think he's gotten a little too much blame this year. It's, uh, their passing game's not good right now, but – that's not the person to be blaming on the second year deep speed receiver in an offense that has no ability to throw it downfield. Uh, one to throw away for me is just the idea that the defense is truly dominant. You've kind of already touched on this, so I'm not going to get too deep into it, but um, it's the Panthers and the Patriots. Like they, they've got to do this against somebody else. Yeah. It's, they still have holes. And I, one thing I, we didn't really get into is that, if you look overall, like they miss Grover Stewart badly. Like the the yards per carry in the games with him was I, I did the numbers today. It was like three point six. It's up to like four point seven in the games without him. That includes a game against the Browns where they had a third string back, not Nick Chubb. So they are compromised. They're just not really facing the offenses that will make them pay. Last time they faced an offense with legitimate talented players, even if they weren't playing well, was the Saints, and we saw what happened there. So I do think they they probably have fix some things but there's no way to really know until they play someone real that leaves us with one to go on your your take away from today that is going to continue to be uh talked about going down the rest going down the rest of the season i'm just going to circle back to my hero of the game i think dio dangbo's real i think this is really happening for him uh, i've been working on some kind of story with him because there's been a lot of talk about some of the stuff that's not showing up in the box score that he's doing, some of these ways that he's grown in his confidence in his body and getting some of his uh, full range of athleticism back while also building some power of being in the NFL strength program with that insane length. And they're trying to kind of build this full package while building a versatile skill set. And it's like they really, really were confident that he was close on some things. And it's, it's not, it hadn't all come together until today. It really came together at a moment when I think a lot was on him because – uh, the injuries to Quiddy and, and Taekwon at, at moments. And so I think this was like they, they, they've been looking for that sort of like light bulb go off moment where he takes over the game and really starts to 
get a sense for like how this whole pastor's plan can come together and how he can be like a player that mixes it up and really challenges guards and tackles. Um, I'm not saying he's going to have three sacks every game. That'd be incredible. Uh, but I do think what we're going to see is like they have th- – there's a reason they started him. They played him above Samson Abacom today when he was – Samson was their top free agent signing. Like part of it, it may be concerns with Samson, but it really was a belief that like in terms of ceiling, I think they believe that, that Dio has the highest ceiling of any pass rusher they have other than DeForest Buckner, and we saw that today. I have a bonus stat for you. Nine and a half sacks in the last 14 games. Dio Dengbo. Wow. So there is a production. Yep. Six sacks this season. Leads the team now after today. And three and, three and a half sacks down the stretch last year. Nine and a half sacks last 14 games. Uh, my one to, to go on, and I, this may have been the one to go on but uh, in a couple of times, but it's, it's going to keep coming up. Uh, what this season turns into is comes down to whether or not like how much the Colts can figure out how to minimize their quarterback. That's, that's the, that's the, I, we've been kind of joking about this off air and behind the scenes. Um, but like, uh, that's, that's really what every game comes down to is, is can they minimize their quarterback's deficiencies enough, uh, to, to come away with a win against, against a bad schedule. It keeps, it keeps like the, the the where they're at quarterback keeps teams in the game against them that shouldn't be like today Colts should have won that game by a lot because the Patriots are terrible um and and it's it's something that like they have a bad schedule down the stretch that's very true but they're going to be like some of these teams are going to have better offenses than the Panthers and the Patriots and against those teams they have to be able to score more than one touchdown we're gonna be talking about this every single game uh we have a very long flight back in the morning. Uh, we have been in Germany for uh, three days. It's been very fun. Um, the bye week is up next. I don't know what we're going to do with the podcast yet. I don't think we've thought about it. Um, but it's a break, break for the Colts, break for you guys. Colts are 5-5, five and five. even though Anthony Richardson is out for the season. Keep an eye on IndyStar.com. We'll have some stuff coming up over the week but you know what get some rest get ready for thanksgiving have a nice time we'll be back home soon for the indie star i'm julie erickson this has been nate atkins